actually a comedian behind the scenes. People like <laughs> laugh at me all the time. I got jokes for days. Okay. Um, I love to dance. I, I got most funniest got in high school. Man. I'm more lighthearted than I think people probably assume I am. I try to be myself. I don't take myself seriously. I can't because I'm gonna botch it up. Like <laughs> when I try to be serious or I try to be like, it's gonna come out wrong anyway. I just have to be me. Hello, Huntsville. I'm Cynthia Joyner. Welcome to another edition of this podcast about all things Huntsville. Today, we start our series on local media personalities. Our first profile, Margot Gray, news anchor at WAFF 48 News. Margot has been at WAFF for 14 years. Everybody has a story, right? So here's yeah. my story. So I, um, I'm the product of an immigrant family and was raised by a single mother. And I think a lot of that shapes who I am to this day. So I grew up in Fort Lauderdale, but we left Jamaica. My mother left Jamaica when she was, um, right after she had me basically. So I'm really a Floridian, um, but I'm born in Jamaica. And then we left and came to Fort Lauderdale. And so Fort Lauderdale is where I call home. Um, Again, just raised by a single mother, and that comes with a lot of responsibility, I feel like, when you're, I'm also an only child, so when you're raised by a single parent and an only child, you are really responsible early on. Being a latchkey kid, having to open the door myself and come home, feed myself, do my own homework, because she worked. She worked hard. She worked two, sometimes three jobs. So um, that's kind of my early memories of growing up is doing a lot of stuff on my own. Um, for me, I always, my fondest memories is when mom could be home. When you're a child, you don't have control over the remote. So her thing was Jeopardy and the news. And so when we did get time to sit on the couch and just hang out, um, that's what we were watching. And you hate news at first. You're like, I'm a kid. I just want to watch some cartoons or I want to watch something else. But then you grow to love it. And then I saw these women in power suits and I'm like, man, I think that's what I want to do. So for me early on, I kind of knew what I was going to do. I, I wasn't a kid who wavered or wanted to be a lawyer or wanted to be a police officer. I kind of was like, this is it for me. And I got the opportunity in fifth grade to do the morning announcements. I thought I was real hot stuff at that <laughs> point because you could tell the kids about their what's on the menu for lunch or you know what's on the almanac and I just got in front of that microphone and I was like man this is it. I was also that kid who couldn't stop talking in class so I got in trouble quite a bit because I just was a class clown and always wanted to talk to people so it kind of worked it was it made sense in a way to do that and ever since I've been shaping myself to do this, whether it was getting involved in drama or getting involved in um, TV production class in high school or, you know, interning at the local newspaper and all of those things. Words are important to me. That's where I excelled. I was never the science kid, the math kid, so words mattered. And when you put that with pictures, it just, you can make someone feel something. And so to me, that was awesome. And um, after that, I 
wanted to go to the top journalism school in the state of Florida, which is University of Florida, so I'm a proud Gator. Um, got there and, you know, you just, you just try your best because failure is not an option when you come from a household that has toiled to make sure you're successful. You gotta do everything you can to make that person proud. So, got, got really involved in college and um, interned at a, a station in Orlando and really got bit by the TV bug. Cause I, for a, at one point I thought I was going into radio or newspaper, but all those things seemed to be fading, you know? Um, traditional ways of getting your news seemed to be fading at that point. So I saw, thought to myself, TV is really where I need to go. So that was kind of the beginning stages for me. So nothing shy about you from the very beginning? No, no, I'm not a shy person. So you always knew you want to be up front? Yes, yeah, okay. that it just, and it, here's the deal with me, if I'm being completely honest, I do things that scare me. And TV scares me. TV is r real stuff, real life. Um, this is live TV. Anything could happen. I could totally make a fool out of myself or I could just really excel. You never know what day it's going to be. You, don't, you never know if your brain is going to connect with your mouth and it's going to come out correctly. But it's something that I love. And so, but it is scary stuff. Live TV is not easy. It, we make it look easy because you've gotten into a routine, but you just never know. But um, that's why I like it so much is that it, it does keep me on my toes. It does still scare me. How did you end up in Huntsville? So with TV, market size is um, just how we operate, how the industry operates. So when you grow up in Fort Lauderdale, Fort Lauderdale shares the market with Miami. That's not a starting point for a new budding reporter. You gotta go to a smaller market and get your experience, um, prove yourself, and figure out the do's and don'ts of doing this. And so. I thought I was going to stay in Gainesville because I was working with the ABC affiliate in Gainesville, WCJB, and I was behind the scenes at that point. I was working as an assignment manager, which is basically the person who controls, they move, they're behind all the moving parts of the newsroom. And I kind of said, maybe, um, maybe this is what I need to do because I was scared. I, to get in front of the camera is another thing. It's another beast, but this is what I've been sort of training myself to do. So I sent out resumes and something with TV is that our resumes are not paper resumes. They're actual reels. They're tapes that you put together of all your body of work, of what you look like, what you sound like, the stories you've covered, how you tell that story. It's all on a resume tape. And what's funny is that this new generation knows nothing about a VHS cassette, but that's what I sent my resume out on. I sent my resume out to 100 TV stations, because at that point, you just never know who's gonna call you back. And you're new, you have no experience, you're green. So who's gonna hire you? You just hope for the best. So I sent out 100 resumes, and I got called back by three TV stations. Two that wanted to split me in an assignment editor as well as a reporter part-time. And then Wilmington, North Carolina, which was an ABC affiliate there, did I know anything about Wilmington? No. But they called me back and said, well, we'd like to hire you on 
as a full-time reporter. And I said, oh, okay, this is it. So I spent, and that was my first time like away out of my state, away from family that wasn't within a three hour or four hour drive. And that was really exciting, you know, just to be off on your own and live in that single girl life and being able to prove it to yourself that you can do this. So I, I took the job and we are all on contracts in TV. So I signed a two year contract. I don't even know what was in it. I was too happy to sign the contract. And guess how much I was making? Tell me. Mm. $18,000 a year. And what year was this? This was 2007. Wow. That's the other misconception about TV is that we make a bag of money. No, we don't. You got to love this. You got to really want to do this because there's no money in it. At first, there's no money in it because there's so many people who wanted to do it back then. I, we can get into how the industry has changed, but they if you don't want to take this $18,000, there's 10 other young girls, other reporters who would take it too. So move right along. So I was just too happy to sign that $18,000 contract a year. I spent two years in Wilmington and it was a great experience, honestly. It was, it was like boot camp, but I loved it because they, I mean, you run yourself through the ringer. But at, at that point, you learn how to ask the right question, how to make sure that you're not getting a yes or no answer, how to almost have the story written in your head before you even talk to that person. It just gives you that training that you really, really need because now it's like, this is, this is my career. This is not just pretend anymore. This is not just college anymore. This is now my career that I've set out to do. Um, I spent two years there and then it was time to apply for new jobs. And you just have to be willing and open to move anywhere. That's what they tell you. Move five times, get fired five times. That's just TV. Um, I started applying again. And this time I have a little experience now. So I could be a little bit more picky. So I sent my resume out to 50 places at this point. And now with technology, now I'm sending out a DVD. So things have, we've upgraded. So I sent out my resume on a DVD and I sent it to 50 stations and I heard back from four. Um, and Huntsville was on the list. What did I know about Huntsville? Nothing again. But um, I got hired here and got hired on for a two-year contract. And that two-year contract has now turned into 14 years. It's also turned into a marriage. It's also turned into a home where I have a solid family, friends, and this has become my home. And I've been here 14 years now, this month, as a matter of fact. Wow. For mm -hmm. those who are listening, who are inspiring to be like you, what would you say to them? Who aspire to be a reporter? Yes. Um, be inquisitive. You also have to be curious. You just have to have that curious nature about you. Things that just don't look right. Um, wanting to know more. It could be the most minute detail, but you want to know every detail. Um, getting out into your community, really knowing who lives around you. Um, some of what is going on, some of what you think should be going on. Um, just to have that inquisitive nature about you is where you start off. 
And then after that, you can really hone your skills by actually covering what's happening in this community and doing it well, that you garner respect, you do it with humility, you do it um, with respect, and hopefully that will resonate with folks out there and then they'll just call you. You At first, when you are a new reporter in a new city, you're begging people, to, you're reaching out to people to talk to you. Right. And then eventually, once you've done stories, the respect is there, they know that you're gonna be um, fair at the end of the day, then they start calling you and say, hey, Margot, this is something you really should look into. Or, hey, Margot, and sometimes we get criticism, which is, I'm open to that. Um, here's what you're not doing. Here's what you should be doing. And that's okay, too. That's what we need, too. But this industry is very different um, than what it was, even just in my time. Because this is now making 16 years that I've been doing um, journalism, and it has changed vastly and the pandemic sped that up. Um, the internet is doing what it has done to newspapers, doing it to us as well, but it's doing it at a slower rate. But I see the writing on the wall. Um, and the pandemic, I think people reevaluated, everybody reevaluated what they're doing and does it matter and should I be doing this? And a lot of vets left the industry and then there's nobody to replace them because of what you make with your, your years of, you know, schooling, you come out and you make pennies. A lot of people can't do this anymore. They can't afford it anymore. And so if you don't have mommy and daddy help, which I didn't have, um, it's really hard to do this. So things are changing. The, the replacing of the vets um, is not happening as rapidly as it used to. And then on top of it, you have bigger markets, the New Yorks of the world, Atlanta's, Miami, L.A., San Francisco, Boston. These are all really big markets. Uh, Chicago, they are snatching up right out of college um, students who are just getting into the business. They, they're like, no experience. We need you here. So we're fighting. This market Huntsville is fighting with trying to find talent, trying to find people who are hungry, who want to do this, and um, it's getting harder. So the jobs are out there. It's just finding people, which I think is every industry at this point. Well, you also look so great on TV, and Thank I have to you. compliment you. You're so polished and well put together. Thank you. So I know the new um, inspiring reporters, they can, take, they can learn a lot from you because you. you are polished, put together, and I have to give you that compliment. Thank you. I appreciate that. So tell us, what's, what is a typical day like for you? So my day starts, a typical, do you want to hear it all? Yeah, okay. tell us. <laughs> <laughs> so my day starts with a workout because that is my de-stressor. That is my, um, that's my me time. So I, I get in a workout for sure every morning. The weekends, um, I can take some time off of that, but I try to get in the gym every day. Um, then I come home and I have to prepare my dinner, my family's dinner before I even, it's like 11 o'clock and I'm trying to prepare dinner before I go to work because I don't really get a dinner break. That's what people don't realize. I, I'm like chained to that desk. Um, I get into work and we immediately, I get in at two, 
um, we have a pitch meeting, an afternoon pitch meeting. There's a pitch meeting in the morning and then there's an afternoon pitch meeting where we all go around and share ideas of what we want to do for the day, what's the big news of the day, um, what's breaking that day, and go around and figure out, okay, what's my lead story? Um, what do we attempt to do? Sometimes it falls apart or sometimes something breaks and then we have to ch change directions. But that two o'clock pitch meeting is where we formulate the day and what our newscast will look like. Um, we get out of that, I end up doing radio. We, we do two radio broadcasts for um, Mix 96.9 and then another affiliate, it's escaping me right now, but it's some uh, uh, affiliates of uh, a Sand Mountain station. So we do headlines for them. Um, then I get into, now we're approaching three o'clock, I throw on some makeup and I get into at least figuring out what our scripts are saying for the four o'clock newscast. So I'm writing some scripts, writing teases, going through what the four o'clock looks like because I anchor the four and then I anchor the 10. I anchor the four for the hour. Then I write teases again because we have teases in prime time. So I, it's, it's the snippet, if, you, if you're not following, it's the snippet that you see maybe during NFL football or you see it during um, Law and Order where it's like coming up tonight at 10 da, 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 and I go through all of what we have on deck and so we shoot that at 530 um, 6 I am then just trying to go through email <laughs> which we have tons every day that I have to go through I'm drowning in email if I'm being honest I, if I miss your email I'm sorry because I'm drowning in email at this point um, and then we kind of figure out what 10 o'clock looks like. I have some time in between six and 10 to maybe work on my own pieces that I'm, I have or feel passionate about. Um, I'm listening to the police scanner. So what people don't understand is that there's literally four of us in the entire station. It's not a bustling newsroom that you see on TV at night. We're a skeleton crew. I have my one reporter, I have my editor, our um, web producer who handles our website, our Facebook, our Twitter, um, and then my producer who's working right the show. That's it, that's in the newsroom. So every phone call that comes in, it's likely you'll get me on the phone because I'm answering phones. I'm listening to the police scanner if something were to happen. Um, and then we just gear up for the 10. So that's kind of what my day looks like, just going through scripts. That sounds like a whole lot. It's some days are worse than others <laughs> where it's just like everything happens all at once and for whatever reason it always happens at like nine o'clock where there could be a fire halfway across town and then there um what comes to mind we had we had a lockdown at Gadsden was it Gadsden State somewhere recently we had a lockdown um then there was a fire and then there was one more thing that happened in that day. And it's like, I have one reporter. Where is he going to go? Like, I can't run him all over, over town. So it's just like you have to prioritize at that point as well because people think we have endless crews. Obviously, if something were to really break, we'd have to call people in. But at that point, I'm sort of trying to figure out where the pieces to the puzzle will fit. So that's so it's what like having, looks like. So it's like having multiple projects and you've got to like prioritize. Exactly. This one's most important. Yeah. So I'm going to send my guy there. Exactly. Wow. Do I need a live reporter there or do I run it with the information and maybe run a map of the area 
or do I run just the mugshot and not send him down to the jail to get maybe the perp walk? Like you have to think of all these things. Wow, wow. Mm -hmm. What local story, good or bad, have been most memorable um, to you? For me, for me specifically, um, I've had really, really great opportunities. Um, so when I first got here, I was what we call a nightside reporter. I worked the 10 o'clock then. Um, where I just had my one story of the day, and uh, we had multiple crews at that point. Uh, so I could just work on that one story. After my two years, I re-signed my contract with 48, and then I was really blessed to have the opportunity to then just be our weekend anchor as well as our investigative reporter. They threw me into that role. What did I know about investigative reporting? Nothing. But I took it on. And that was around 2013. And I am really proud of the body of work that I did back then. Um, I'm still proud of the things that I do now. I can be more selective of what I do now. Um, and because I, am, I have my priorities of being an anchor, that I don't get to flex that investigative muscle as much anymore. But back then, it just got thrown on my desk. Um, there was a woman who no one would listen to for whatever reason. She just needed somebody to hear her out. And I listened and none, none of what she said made sense. She was telling me that she lost custody of her child, children. I think she had two boys. She lost custody of her children. And she had a hunch that the woman who was involved in her child custody as a behavioral therapist that was hired by DHR, contracted through DHR to do her case, wasn't even licensed. She said, something is off about this woman, can you look into her? Cynthia, it didn't take me a day to get to the bottom of what was going on. She had zero license. She fraud, I mean, it was fraud. She was fraudulently pretending to be a behavioral therapist. Um, said that she had a degree from Southern Illinois no degree. I mean, just a fake, a total fake working and being the catalyst of who would split these children up and take them out of their homes and take custody away from their parents. And DHR didn't even check her resume, didn't do a reference call. So at that point, they had to admit to me that this was happening and that we are now going back to square one to figure out where the loopholes are in our hiring process because we're contracting with these people and we have no idea who we hired. And so I was really proud of that because um, that mother, no one listened to her and she was able to regain custody of her children um, because it was just what happened to her was absolutely wrong. Um, the husband basically was using this woman to, uh, it's like abuse. To, to take your children away when it wasn't even warranted. So that one sticks out for me for to this day. And I still talk to her, she still calls me and just is thankful for what I did at that point. Um, another story that comes to mind was <laughs> more than I needed to know about farming, but there was a pyramid scheme that was running in our backyard and it involved tomato farming. And in fact, I'll sprinkle it out there that it's now the, the story behind it is now getting shopped by Hulu and um, 
Netflix, there's a production company that may be interested in turning it into a documentary. I don't know what's going to happen, but a woman wrote me um, an email and said, something just doesn't sit right with this company. They want you to pay $10,000 up front to have a greenhouse put on your property and they'll buy your tomatoes back and you'll make, I mean, an exorbitant amount of money. You can make like $40,000 a year. None of that made sense because even if it was organic, high yield um, crop, you're not gonna make $40,000. It just was, everything was a lie. The BBB was really helpful to me at that point to kind of steer me in the right direction. Ended up getting recognized by the BBB for the story I did. Um, I probably should have submitted it for an award, but it never won me an award. But um, it ended up, he, the person behind it ended up stealing thousands of dollars from people who thought they were signing up for um, a business that was going to make them a bag of money. People, I'm thinking, how does everybody have 10 grand to just throw at this man who they don't even know, they didn't check into, but at that point, People believed he had really a good gift, gift of gab, and he, people believed him that they were going to make this amount of money. People pulled out money out of their 401ks. Um, they asked family for money, and it tanked. I come to find out, he lied and said he had a contract with Publix to buy the tomatoes. Lie, he was buying the um, tomatoes from Costco in bulk and shopping them around restaurants and saying, "Oh, my growers can grow these tomatoes for you." Come to find out they were coming from Costco. So, you know, more, more recently, um, the Jones family story really sticks out to me as well. I just did the story with the family here. They, um, they truly believe that their land was stolen from them back in the 50s. And what currently sits on their land right now is UAH's business college. So they provided all sorts of documentation um, that to me, once analyzed by a handwriting expert, seen forged, that their land was straight up stolen from them. And the statute of limitations has run out, but you know, they feel like it's theft. And so I was able to highlight their story. It got um, picked up by a lot of outlets around the country because the same organization, the same grassroots organization that's helping put a spotlight on their um, situation just was able to help the Bruce's Beach family out in California win a huge settlement once their land was stolen from them as well. So we're hoping that the same thing can happen here, but Alabama laws are different from California laws. So it's gonna take some time to, to wrap our heads around and actually have lawmakers buy into helping people who have been wronged. So all those stories matter, but even just the little story that, um, you know, a contractor who messes up somebody's house and it's a woman on a fixed income who didn't really have the money to afford, but she needed this fix and she hands over ten, twenty thousand dollars to somebody who just leaves her house torn up. Stories like that matter, too. Have there been a Huntsville story that impacted you? There, I mean, there are countless stories, Cynthia. I mean, UH, covering UH is shooting. Um, that was a first for me. I think right after that or right before that, a week separating was um, Todd Brown at Discovery Middle. This was all brand new to me because I had never covered anything like that before. Um, 
tornadoes of 2011 come to mind as well. Um, I, it just, every day is something new and you're just hoping that you do the best job you can because you kind of only get one bite at that apple when it happens. It's <laughs> all the eyes are on you at that point because it's breaking. And so you're just hoping to do the best you can. And I'm sure there are some stories that are very difficult for you to, to deliver, but you do the job. So more recently, a mother who I reached out to at least two years ago when her daughter, um, tragic, tragic story. Her daughter was killed right in front of her child, um, stabbed multiple times right in front of her front door. This is in Decatur. Um, and it happened, her neighbor is who did this. Um, I reached out to the mother and that's difficult. People are in pain and there's an element there of balance where you're trying to effectively tell this victim's story without putting so much limelight on the person who committed this crime. You want to hear more about the victim behind the case, but then you have to balance, do I, how do I reach out to this family? What do I say to allow them to feel comfortable to share their pain with me? Because that's what they're doing. Um, it's difficult stuff. We deal with ugly things. We just, it's just the nature of news. We deal with really ugly subjects. And so I reached out to her, never heard anything back. And then all of a sudden I come across her email and she said, you reached out to me two years ago when I lost my daughter, but I managed to turn my pain into passion and I've created a nonprofit and I want to highlight it about domestic violence. Can you do a story? And I said, absolutely. I'm ready today. Whenever you feel comfortable, let's go. So when people feel comfortable enough to reach out to me, open up to me, that is beautiful and a huge responsibility. And you just want to do them justice and want to do them right. So um, that was just recently. It's just those moments that make me know that, yeah, you are doing something right. People do feel comfortable to open up and to share. And so I'm glad when those moments happen. I can tell you're very passionate about yeah, your work. Yeah, you have to be because yeah. this, this thing called news will beat you down. Yeah. And again, it's the good, the bad, and the ugly. And we're a mirror to society. And so you just have to do it the best way you can and be responsible when you are doing it. Yes, yes. So Margo, tell us how local journalism has involved in the Huntsville area. Well, <laughs> has evolved. Yeah, because I know you talked about how things have changed since you started at 48. So be more specific. Are we talking in front of the camera, behind the camera? Behind the camera and just... Uh... Let's, I can take that in a couple different directions. Okay. When I first got here, um, they, 48, hired me on as a one-man band. And it's like, what does that mean? So a one-man band is a person who shoots it themselves, writes it themselves, and then gets in front of the camera and presents it. I was doing it all, and I edit it, I do everything. When I first got here, there were 
a reporter and a photographer. What you would assume, what TV has shown you from the beginning of time, how this works, a camera crew. You show up with a crew. It's not just you by yourself. Um, but I was 48's first metro area one-man band. And then they've made these cameras. Back in the day, I'm only 5'1". Back in the day, these cameras are big that I had to lift up. Huge P2 cameras that I had to use back in the day. But um, they have... Technology is updated now. These cameras weigh five pounds, so it's like easy to send you out by yourself to do things. And that's what I did. When I'd show up, people would be like, okay, where is everybody else? Where's your camera guy? And I'm like, it's just me. <laughs> I'm ready to go. Here's my microphone. Let's go. Um, so I was in a newsroom where there was a team, and you kind of feel like the little, you know, the little fish in the big pond where it's just like, what can I do? What impact can I make? But, you know, you, that's kind of second nature now. That's all you see. It's very rare. This whole entire market has changed into one-man band markets. Um, and so that has changed vastly where it is one person showing up to do the job. And it's all on your shoulders to get that around and by deadline to turn it around for the 5 o'clock newscast. So that has greatly changed. Um, also, I just have to be real, like when I got here, there were not as many black faces as they are now. Um, when I got here, Kim Essex was our main anchor. Um, before her, Jeanette Smith made a huge impact. All of those women paved a huge way for me, Varian Walton. Um, these women set the stage for Huntsville and Huntsville has to reflect who's here. That's the, the big change in TV news is that you have to see yourself to be able to connect and resonate with someone. And so when you don't see yourself, it doesn't, it doesn't fit. Because at the end of the day, what we're doing is an exchange. I may not be in your living room talking to you, but I'm there. I'm there. And it's an exchange with that audience on the other side. And it's really important to reflect who's in the community. And so I'm, I'm glad and happy to see more faces that look like me doing news here in, in this market. It's beautiful to see because that wasn't always the case. Um, I think when it comes to, there's no shortage of news, but I do think that there is an element between Alabama laws and um, local who you know is still at play. And a lot of times it's really hard to get just down to the nitty gritty to get the real truth because not everybody wants to talk to us. I get that. And laws are still preventing us from being truly transparent with the community. Case in point, body camera footage, still can't get it. So it's a challenge. Doing, doing news in the state of Alabama is still a challenge because there is an underbelly of I don't even want to talk to you. I'm not, who are you with news? I'm not giving you anything. And then we have to sue and then we have to get, you know, attorneys involved and it's really difficult to cover true, true investigative pieces in this state. So what would be a cool story um, to cover about Huntsville that you haven't thought about covering yet? Well, <laughs> cool. Yes. So <laughs> something about me, and I hate to even bring it up, but 
we don't really have much fun. <laughs> we have an ele So we have just created a lifestyle show, Tennessee Valley Living, and that seems to be where all the fun happens and then fun comes to die at the 10 o'clock newscast. Like, it's, it is still about hard news. Um, personally, what would be fun for me to cover? Um... It would have to deal with children. I, I just took a tour at um, Jemison High School last week just to, no cameras, just for me to show up, to really talk to people, talk to the students, and see if there's some fun stories to cover. Um, just budding students who are trying to figure out life and, and just figure out what path they're on. Um, that's fun to cover, but when it comes down to it, all of my stories have some sort of hard edge to it. What I'm actually working on right now is kind of in your wheelhouse. Um, we constantly see, or at least I do, I constantly see comments when there is something fun and exciting. Because when I moved to town, there was, I hate to say it, but I'm just going to be honest, there wasn't much here. Bridge Street is what saved y'all. Like, I was really like, they don't have a Macy's, they don't have a Nordstrom's, like, they don't have a Trader Joe's. What in the world? And look at how much we've grown and how exciting that is. But then, at the same token, I see comments where it's just like, all of this is pushing out people who've called this place home, born and raised here. Um, what's that story? There's a story there, too. We have all these fancy things. We have Trader Joe's, we have Mid-City, we have all, all that, but who are the people who work there? Where do they live? Can they afford it now? I, I see that a lot where people are saying that they're getting pushed out of this market. They can't afford, there's not affordable housing here. So those are the stories that, you know, make me excited. I, I, I'm not giving you cool, but those are the stories that get me excited. <laughs> Yes, there there's more things to do certainly in Huntsville. There's there's now Cheesecake Factory. So we're yeah. we're getting the big And all that is fun. Yeah. All that is fun, but who's working there? And are we doing them a disservice by not providing them adequate housing? Um we got to have we got to have housing for everybody. So that's kind of what's on my plate right now, and I'm trying to get to, you know, the root of that. But that's what makes me excited. It's to be able to put a voice to that story. Okay. So changing the subject a little bit, um, tell me what do you do for fun? Like, do you go any to festivals or what are your favorite restaurants? What activities are you doing when you're not on the clock? Okay. Uh <laughs> Sounds so boring. <laughs> I actually got out this past weekend. We had that vintage market, um, which was fun. Uh, I went downtown because it was Oktoberfest. So there was all these happenings downtown. So I actually got out to, to do something. Um, you'll find me mostly, though, painting or walking my dog. <laughs> it's real simple <laughs> for me. I paint in my garage. My paintings are just something I do. I, I'm not really that great. I just do what comes to mind and put it on the canvas, but it's relaxing. Um, I walk my dog, as I said, 
That's pretty much it. But I mean, I've tried new restaurants. Um, it's gonna sound so bad, but we really love Connors. Like, I've never had a bad meal at Connors. Um, I, I gotta try that new. I just like to try what's out there. I gotta try the new um, Parisian, what is it, a Parisian cafe out at Bridge Street. I gotta go over there and explore that. Have you heard about it? No, I haven't. Yes, yeah. um, it, they just opened and I've heard good things. They have croissant, of course, and all kinds of um, pastries, Parisian pastries, so I gotta go try there. Okay, well we have some great local restaurants. I don't know if you had a chance to visit um, Commerce Kitchen. Oh yeah, um, oh yeah. Yeah. Yes, I've been yeah. there. Um, love Commerce Kitchen. Um, Purveyor is cool. Um, the Oyster Bar is cool. I, I try to I try to get out and explore. I tried um what was it the other day that we went to? I can't think of it now. Tom Brown's, which oh. it may be a franchise. I'm not sure, but Tom Brown's was good. I tried that for the first time recently. So, so um, I hear there are two different locations. Yeah, there's one yeah. in Madison, mm -hmm. the original in Madison, and then they just opened up in South Huntsville. Yeah. Wow. Wow. So you're, you're pretty busy. So do you get involved in any local community service projects? So what people don't know about me is that I also am an etiquette instructor. So when people reach out, I'm usually teaching an etiquette class. I just taught an etiquette class a couple of weeks ago. Um, I've worked closely with Girls Inc. I just think it's really important to lift up our girls, our young girls. And I try to do that in what I do off camera. Um, I just had a sit down with a student who is also writing on the side. She's wanting to go to law school, but she's also writing as well. And so just sitting down and just trying to bestow what knowledge I have, I try to give my time and it's usually to young women. Wow, amazing. Um, is there something that you would want the Huntsville community to know about you that they don't already know? Um, that I am an open book and that they can, I'm here to listen. You can reach out to me at all points. I think when people actually meet me, they're like, oh, you are a real person. You are cool. You, you're not just this, you know, reporter who is behind a desk. Um, I'm approachable. People can reach out at any point and I'm pretty straightforward. I give it to them straight. Um, anything that they don't know about me. What's your favorite recipe? Oxtails. Oxtails. I'm Jamaican at, at the end of the day, so I love <laughs> oxtails. I love um, my mom's cooking, jerk chicken, um, curry goat, all those things. If it's not Jamaican food, then I'm probably eating Asian, um, Chinese, Vietnamese, all those things. Okay two different spectrums. Um, I ended up, so my husband's from here and he, born and raised, loves his barbecue. So we have a lot of barbecue too when he gets on the grill um, or his smoker, his, his smoker is his baby. So we eat a lot of barbecue as well. Okay. But that's kind of what's happening in my house. Okay. Some ox sales are on the fire. Well, sounds good. <laughs> Invite me over sometime. Yes. So have you had some ox sales? I have. Okay. Jamaican style. Yes. Okay, good. Yes. Then, yes, you can come on over. Okay. I'm not a big cook. I oh. try. I try my best. <laughs> my husband can actually cook better than I can, but are I try my best. Oh, yeah, but he can get down. He can definitely get down in the kitchen, but he loves his southern fare. 
I can't do all those things. Pinto yeah. beans and all, I can't do those. I didn't get taught those things. Well, it's really pretty easy. I know, yeah. but yeah. I, I let him handle it. Stress, it stresses me out going in the kitchen, but when I do, I try my best. Hello Huntsville is hosted by Cynthia Joyner. Cynthia Joyner and Jeff Morlock are the executive producers. This podcast is produced and directed by Keith Matthews and David Person. Jake Martin and Hans Guger provided remote and in-studio audio engineering and other technical support. Chad Bell is the production administrator. The podcast theme was written and produced by Kyle Wimbish and David Person. Spread the word about Hello Huntsville, the first podcast that makes Huntsville, Alabama, the star.